Hello, everyone. I want to start by saying on this slightly untraditional Valentine's Day episode, which you'll determine why that is, that I feel so thankful to have had the opportunity to love and to be loved by so many of you over the years. This podcast has genuinely been the coolest experience for me, and it's because of the community that Jesus has built and created with all of you. And I'm just really excited to share this with you guys. It's so funny that I'm just this thrilled, but I really am because today's guest is very special. I had the opportunity to meet Delilah, the Delilah. If you ever listened to her radio show, you know that she is just full of compassion and wisdom and grace. It's really, really cool to have the opportunity to speak with her and to see how her heart and her love for people really does transcend in everything that she does. When I first told my friends about this, the first thing that came to my mind was the theme song. So I want to share it with you guys because I feel like this will just draw back all the feelings and memories. So let me share it with you. It makes me so happy. And so in this conversation, Delilah touches on topics that challenge the way that we unconditionally love, whether it's the way that we share and gather stories, the way that we speak to our children, how we love the widows and the orphans, and how we connect in friendship and community. And she says, quote, the only kind of love that exists is unconditional love. And I want to echo that today. And Jesus is unconditional love. And so I just don't feel like there's any better way to go into Valentine's than to have this message and to store it in our hearts. So I'm very excited. Let's jump into today's conversation and happy Valentine's Day. I love you guys. At the end of our days, we want to be proud of how we spent that day. At the end of our lives, we want to be equally proud of the decisions that we've made. To do this, we need to face the hard. We need to talk it out. We need to lean into community, relatability, and understanding. We need to hear how other people got it together, how they overcame the shame, hurt, toxicity, and past trauma, and chose to move forward but nobody talks about the hard stuff enough. Life is tough and confusing, and yet we try to glide over the struggles like the glaze on a donut and expect to come out unscathed on the other side. We don't deal with the hard, we just keep moving forward, distracting ourselves with scrolling, Netflix binges, and a busy, busy life. But none of us wanna feel like we're drowning or settling in the one life that we've been given, and that's where this show comes in. I long to be a piece of the puzzle that not only extends a hand, but comes alongside of you to live well and to live with joy. On the Living Easy podcast, I dig deep and talk about the things that people are not always comfortable discussing. We talk about the nitty gritty of marriage from living like roommates to the confusion of sex and intimacy. We talk about the reality of losing friendships and the art of making new ones as an adult because let's be honest, it is not always easy. And we explore essential life principles like real forgiveness, making perfect memories in imperfect homes, and how to deepen your relationship with God in a way that genuinely changes how you live and how you love. God has used the Living Easy podcast to touch hearts in nearly every country in this world. I started this journey with just a computer on my lap as a nursing mom. And since that point, I've had the incredible privilege of connecting with millions of people worldwide through my platforms and through my online courses, such as The Wife Project, From Roommates to Soulmates. At the heart of it all, it is people who make my world go round. Relationships matter, and how you feel about your life at the end of your life is of great importance. And that is why I pour my heart into connecting with you. People are everything to me, and I share my own stories of my mess, the hardships, and my big mistakes on this podcast, paired with all of the wisdom and the lessons that I have learned along the way to bring you freedom. So let's be friends, click subscribe, grab your favorite warm beverage, and get cozy. I'm Lindsay Maestas. Welcome to the Living Easy Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Living Easy Podcast. This is such an exciting day for me because I have grown up listening to Delilah. I remember specifically around Christmas time, Delilah, your voice was my calm and my peace. And I'm sure you hear that so much, but I can specifically envision locations I was driving and places I was with my mom and my sister and listening to Christmas music and then just hearing you. 
And I attribute so much of what I do now and my passion for relationships and for people as part of what you have brought into my life. And so I just want to say thanks for being here because I am so excited. <laughs> Thank you, Lindsay. Thank you. It's sweet that that you met Aaron, who I've known for years and years. And he called me, goes, oh, my gosh, you're going to love this girl. She's so sweet. She's so oh. cute. So bubbly. She's got such good energy. So thank you for oh, having me. Of course. Yeah. He is so sweet to get this set up. You have such an incredible story and your life is a testament to fighting through and being faithful and being consistent and showing up. Can you talk just a little bit about your radio show and what this has done for you? Like how, how does it impact you talking to people, hearing about their lives, hearing about their hardships, hearing about their successes. As you kind of look back at your career, what does it make you feel? Well, first off, it's not really, Lindsay, my career. It's who I am. Like if I weren't on the radio, I would still be talking to everybody that I encounter at all times. So my personality is not an extension of the radio show. The radio show is an extension of who God made me to be. And he made me to be a storyteller, a story gatherer more than a storyteller, I think. But I am attracted to, and to this day after the September will be 50 years on the air, I still love so much gathering stories, hearing people's stories and understanding where they're coming from and where they've been and what's happened to them. And can I have any part in helping you along this journey? I think probably for the last couple of years, I've stepped back a little bit and said, okay, I don't need to be intimately involved in the solution. I can, I can direct them to other resources, but uh, a lot of the people in my intimate life and in my intimate circle started out as listeners. So um, oh, that's incredible. Yeah, it's it's who I am. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I was born this way. God yeah. made me this way. How do you feel that that has shifted your life? As I kind of consider the way that our world is now, which is very isolated in a lot of ways because of social media, and I wouldn't say this is everyone like. Even the Aaron situation is such a testament to how quickly you can meet someone and how it can shift the trajectory of your next week or your next month. But how would you say that that has filled your life? And what would your encouragement be to people who maybe struggle to connect with others or who feel isolated from a sense of God-given community? I'm so grateful I was born when I was born because we didn't have the internet. Mm -hmm. And so we had bicycles and we had our feet and we had sticks to play baseball with. Mm -hmm. We had relationships with every kid in the neighborhood. And so that was what formed my personality. Plus, I come from a family of connectors, of talkers. My mom could not walk into a room and just sit down and be quiet. She Mm -hmm. couldn't. You know, you said, I'll pay you a million dollars to walk into the Elks Lodge and sit down for 10 minutes without talking to anybody. (laughs) She would be broke because she can't do it. I can't do it. My sister can do it. My daughter can do it. They have very different makeup. You know, they're they're wired differently. They need to kind of step back and they kind of wait, I guess. Yeah. Observe. Take everything in. Yeah. For people like that, I think it would be hell to be born in this generation. Yeah. Because if your natural bent is not to connect, if your natural bent is to observe and wait, if, if you're a connector like you and I are, and we have to have intimate connections, we will go find them. Yeah. <laughs> no, it doesn't matter about the internet. It doesn't matter about technology. I will, I'll go talk to the person checking me out of the grocery store. And, you know, within five minutes, I will, I will know her story. Yeah. But for people who are more introverted, who are natural introverts, I think it's a very scary time, a very hard time mm-hmm. because technology has given us permission to never see people face to face. You don't have to go to the grocery store. 
You can order everything you want online. You can have it delivered to your door. You don't have to go to a restaurant to celebrate your anniversary. Mm-hmm. You can order, you know, food to be knocked and somebody will knock on your door and give you hot food. So for people who are more introverted, I think this would be a really hard time to navigate. Mm -hmm. But it it wouldn't matter if I was born 2000 years ago or or 20 years ago. I'm going to talk to you. I'm going to get to know you. I'm going to pry into your business. (laughs) And I will find a way to do that because I need to be with people. Yeah. And I need to talk to people, not every day. I mean, I go days where I don't even leave my farm, but I still have 20 people that are at my farm, you know, (laughs) talk to. Well, and I have two questions off that. One would be when you mentioned that the food delivery and eating at home instead of going out to eat, do you feel that that steals from the joy of people's life? And if so, why? It's, It's deadly. It is deadly. I read a, a study the other day. I like to, I, I'm fascinated by information. And I read a study the other day that said pre 2020, pre COVID, the average young adult between 20 and 40 who was single spent six to eight hours a week in the company of their friends. So bowling or dart leagues or girls' night out or whatever. Sure. Post 2020, today, it's less than two hours a week, sometimes as little as 25 minutes a week. And most of that is on a device, mm. not even in person. Wow. Yeah. That's terrifying to me. Yeah. To me as well. Where do you go when your heart is broken? Where do you go when you're lonely if you don't have your best friends? If you can't call up my friends, my best friends, my closest friends, I've been friends with since I was nine and I will be 64. And the modern world is robbing people of, you know, there's four primary relationships that you need to be mentally healthy, emotionally healthy. Number one with the Lord, I believe. Mm -hmm. That's my belief. Number two, if you have a significant other with your partner, with your spouse. Number three, with your children, if you have children or grandchildren. And number four is your best friends your best friends, yeah. your circle, your tribe, the 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 women that you know through and through, inside and out, mm-hmm. that you love unconditionally, that will be there when you get the call that says the test came back positive, that will be there when you have to call them and say, I just lost my son, that will be there, not just for five minutes or five hours, but for, you know, for the rest of your life. And I think our world today is not conducive and not helpful in encouraging those primary relationships. Yeah. You know, taking God out of everywhere. You worship him, can't mention him. They've destroyed the the precious holiness and beauty of true love, of intimate relationships. And our kids are addicted to devices by the time they're 10 months old, a year old. Uh, Tablets for kids are crack cocaine. Yeah, absolutely. They are. And it's this addiction that's so widespread now that because you see the alcoholic and I'm not an alcoholic, I can say, oh, that is an alcoholic, a drug addict, same thing. But when we all have this addiction to our phones, it is so socially acceptable that we are just becoming mindless drones. And I want to go back to your point. I have said a few times on my podcast, I would not be the mother that I am today without the relationship with my husband that we have worked really hard to have open communication. I would not probably not be married anymore if it weren't for the the night spent crying on my friend's floor and having them to point me to, to truth and to pray over me and to encourage and to have those really hard, honest conversations. I would not still be doing what I'm doing as a career, as a ministry, if it weren't for the support of my friends and my family and just continuously encouraging. And then you see your life and the power that you've had in gathering stories and telling stories and encouraging the hearts of other people. When we say it steals, I I so agree with you when you say when you, if you're going to, if you lose a son or if you walk through a difficult situation or a divorce Who are you going to go to? Because the relationship built over even text messaging is so void, I believe, of emotion, of compassion, of empathy, a lot of the time, not that it can't be a part of the relationship. 
But if there is a lack of face-to-face connection, if there is a lack of phone call and hearing someone's tone in their voice, you are destined essentially to create a distance within that relationship. And so I guess my question to you would be, for people who are already in this, who are already struggling with a feeling of I don't have a village, I don't have a community, um, I'm not super extroverted or outgoing, and so I struggle, but I do long for that, what would your encouragement be to that person? Follow your passions, not follow who you're passionate about. Follow your passions. Hmm. So if you uh, love birds and uh, love bird watching, if you are into hiking, if you are into downhill skiing or snowboarding or whatever it is that gets you excited, like for me, it's art Mm -hmm. and horses, Mm -hmm. art and horses. If, If I hear a horse, Winnie, you know, Five miles away, I got to go see what kind of horse it is. <laughs> yeah. Check it out. So, but follow your passion. So if it's cooking, if it's sourdough bread, there's a million places to go to classes. And I'm not talking online from the comfort of your kitchen. I'm talking get dressed, put on your you know shoes, get in the car, go to a class, yeah. uh, go to a gym if you like to work out. If you don't like to work out, join a local gym. Because when you follow your passions, you will meet like-minded people. Most of us studies have shown who have a group of friends, have friends from high school, from college, and from the workplace. So what do you do now when you're you know, 30 or 40 and you're working from home? Or you only go into work once or twice a week? Or you go into work and it's a sterile environment with cubicles and you don't really get to know people? Mm-hmm. So you have, if you follow your passions... You will find people, you know, if you love the Lord, find a great church that's got a lot of young people. Um, Maybe you're used to going to your parents' church or your grandparents' church and you love it and you love the pastor, but there's only seven other people under 50. Not a place you're going to make good friends. Mm -hmm. So if you follow your passions, God will lead you to other people. But you got to get off the couch. Leave your house. Got to get outside the door. (laughs) Go outside the door. Go outside and play. You know, my mom used to say, get outside and play. Yeah. Yeah. We've been, we, I had been locked out a few times. Like you can't come back in until you. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Mom would lock the door. She would lock (laughs) the door. Then we would go open the garage door and sneak through the back door. And she's like, do you think I'm that dumb? The minute I hear the garage door opening, go outside and play. How do you feel that your parents impacted who you are? What were some things that they did that helped to foster you as a connector? Because your life is so abundant. How did their parenting foster this in you in order to help you live such a sweet life? Well, my first off, my folks were not saved. They did not know the Lord, but they were very social. We had friends in our house or we were at friend's house every weekend. Mm-hmm. Every weekend, my dad played in a band. So Thursday nights were usually the jam nights when the band would, and our house was tiny. It was 1,200 square feet. It was tiny. We're not talking, you know, you, we had a 2,000 square foot house. There were six of us in 1,200 square feet. Yeah. And, and that's where the band would meet and the living room and they would jam. And then Fridays and Saturdays, if dad had a gig, you know, at the nursing home or at the Grange Hall or whatever, we went and we danced and we square danced and we two-stepped and and my folks had two or three couples that they were best friends with. And we went camping with them and fishing with them and, you know, holidays and and they were a very they were very, 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 very social mm-hmm. together and separate. Um, that was just their personality. But the the compassion aspect is just it's who I am. I can't I can't see an animal struggling. I have to rescue it. Mm-hmm. I can't see a child struggling. I have to rescue it. Mm-hmm. I can't, you know, there's a tragic story about a photographer that took a picture that was on the cover of Life magazine during the Ethiopian, I think it was Ethiopian hunger crisis many years ago. And it was a child dying and a vulture in the background waiting. Mm. And somebody asked him after the picture was processed and published what happened to the child and he said 
I don't know, I had to, a plane to catch. Wow. And he ended up taking his life as the weight of that decision destroyed him. Yeah. And I, I could never, I, I cannot walk away from something that is suffering. I can't. Mm-hmm. I, and I don't know how people can. I don't get how we've got, you know, 487,000 kids in foster care in a nation where we have millions of people that claim to be Christians. I don't get it. I, when you say those things, my mind is drawn back just to selfishness and greed and, and how, as you've kind of hinted at throughout the conversation, that there are these powers that be that almost isolate us to a point where we don't feel that we need each other, where we don't feel like where the ultimate thing is for us to be seen. There's this comedian who we listen to and he has this joke where he says, I'm going to butcher it, but he says like, I go to the gym to work on myself while I scroll through my phone and look at pictures of myself. And then I go and go back home to myself. And it's so self-focused that when you share that horrible story of the photographer that in the moment you're thinking, he's thinking potentially, oh, my next shot or my next opportunity or my comfort of my home is more enticing than this, but it weighs heavily. Get to but a it point doesn't. Where- it weighed heavily on him, but it doesn't weigh heavily on our society. It doesn't. The truth is they care far more about the Super Bowl ads and the food they're going to make for Super Bowl that then they're going to take pictures of and post on their social media then they care about the fact that we've got every year we have a half a million children. I'm not talking in China or Indonesia, in America that disappear and are trafficked. Most of them are trafficked. Mm -hmm. How, How come we're not stopping the world, the foolishness that we stopped in 2020? Why are we not stopping the world to find half a million children that go missing a year? How How are we not stopping church and playing church to find homes for half a million children in foster care. I cannot wrap my head around it. Can you speak to this, Delilah? Because this is something that has been an awakening in my experience with adoption, that in order to adopt a child, and maybe this is misinformation on my end, but the documents that we have seen and received say that it costs around $45,000 to $65,000 to adopt a child within the U.S. That is true. So there are three types of adoption. Mm -hmm. There are um, private adoptions where you identify a pregnant mother who has chosen to carry the child, praise God, but does not have the means to raise the child. Mm -hmm. That will be more closer to $100,000, $200,000. Children are auctioned off basically to the highest bidder. Right. So the second type of adoption is international adoption, which used to be an amazing route to go so that children who are stuck in in Ukraine or Russia or Africa in orphanages have an opportunity to live and to thrive. And six of my children are adopted out of situations like that. That has effectively been shut down by the powers that be Mm -hmm. who've decided that it's far better to leave them in their own culture rather than to integrate them into Western culture, which on on the outset sounds fabulous, except the reality is those kids have no place to go. They're in orphanages, so they get trafficked. Mm -hmm. So they they die or they become enslaved. And 20 years ago, when I started adopting internationally, there were 30, 40, 50,000 kids a year adopted by American couples that struggle with infertility or that just love the Lord and, and believe that children should not suffer. Now they have, have controlled that and destroyed that possibility. So it's a few hundred or maybe a thousand kids a year that are adopted internationally. They've shut it down and they've shut it down saying, oh, poor kids were being trafficked into America under the guise of adoption. Yeah, a few of them were, but most of them- In comparison to the numbers of that were being yeah. saved and helped. Yeah. It, I mean, maybe one yeah. half of 1%. Right. And then the third um, form of adoption is to adopt children out of foster care. Um 
And like I said, there are half a million kids in foster care, 487,000 a few weeks ago, and only 5% will ever be adopted. Hmm. The rest will age out and they will have no families, no forever families, no identity. Um, The problem is that's hard work Mm -hmm. because when you adopt a newborn infant, yeah, you might have to overcome the fact that they're born drug addicted or they have fetal alcohol syndrome and you don't know their DNA, Mm -hmm. but chances are you will get to shape their reality and their personality and you will be there to protect them from trauma. Kids who are in foster care have experienced the worst trauma known to man and it's hard work and your heart will be broken. Yeah. That's the truth over and over again. Does that mean we shouldn't do it? No, no. I'm, I'm curious with your story and your experience. When did you start adopting? How old were your children when you started adopting or had you had children when you started adopting? This is the truth about your marriage. God did not call you to be a fix him wife. He called you to be a love him wife. I want you to imagine for a moment your home lighting up in flames. Would you wait until the entire house had burnt down before seeking help? No, right? It's more likely that as soon as you saw the spark of that first flame, you would do everything in your power to fight the damage, fix it, learn from it, and to seek help. Now let's apply that same wisdom to your marriage. Divorce statistics do not lie, you guys. 50% of Christian marriages end in divorce. So why wait until your marriage has burned to the ground before taking action? The Wife Project from Roommates to Soulmates is an eight and a half week biblical study that I am so deeply passionate about because I have had the amazing opportunity to watch it change thousands of marriages for the better around the entire world. It offers a lifeline for those seeking to become best friends with their spouse again, to actually like one another again, and to rekindle the affection, intimacy, and closeness that you once experienced. So is this a project for you? Here are a few questions that you can ask yourself. Number one, do you feel like coldness and hard-heartedness have replaced the affection and the excitement in your marriage? Do you find yourself feeling lonely, struggling to communicate your wants and your needs to your spouse, or just never wanting to be together? Number two, are you a woman who is seeking to embrace her role as a godly wife, just learning how to love your husband as God intended? Number three, do you long to deepen your relationship with Jesus, strengthen your own prayer life, trust Him in your sex life, and become a more godly spouse each day? Number four, perhaps you're single, coming from a broken home with a fractured view of marriage, and you yearn to discover what God says about this sacred union of commitment. Or number five, maybe you're recently engaged and you're eager to prepare your heart in the best way for your future husband by fixing your gaze on Jesus. I want you to consider the words of one of the students of The Wife Project who shared, My husband and I had been struggling for a very long time. We love each other, but miscommunication and exhaustion were taking a toll. In just a few days of walking through The Wife Project, I feel a genuine change in our marriage and in the tone of our home, as well as Kelsey's testimony. The Wife Project showed me God's vision for our marriage. I realized that I need to stop trying to get my husband to fill a role that he was never created to fill. Thank you, Lindsay, for giving me the tools I needed to save my marriage. I truly believe you are a gift from God to our family. So if you are ready to change your marriage, there has never been a better time to invest in one of the most important relationships in your life. And it begins with you. We cannot change the person next to us as much as we might want to, but we can start with us. And if we deepen our faith in such a way that it pours out onto our marriage, we will see the fruit of that in our home. This course includes a 65-page workbook with practical applications, conversation starters, date night ideas, memory verses, journaling pages, and so much more to get you started right away on implementing what you're learning. It is time to make a generational change for the sake of your children and for the glory of God. Let them see how you communicate healthfully and change the dynamic I had two children, Sunny was 12 and Shayla was two. And I was told I could not have more children. I have polycystic ovaries. Mm -hmm. And so I decided I wanted a big family and I was going to adopt one more child. And I've adopted 12 now. Um, But my intent, my plan was one. Mm -hmm. And uh, we found a kid in foster care who was about a year younger than my biological son and started having meetings with him and fell in love with him and set to adopt him and found out that he had siblings in foster care. 
So we started having get togethers with them just so the siblings could stay close yeah. and uh, ended up adopting them. And then I was done. You know, I, I got, so I went from two children to five children in the span of the year. And uh, while we were going through that process, I found out I was pregnant. Wow. At 39, almost 40 years old. Oh, wow. <laughs> and every child that's been added to my family since then, I didn't plan on. Hmm. It wasn't like I went out looking or that I'm, you know, a child collector. You know, yeah. some people hoard cats. Yeah. That wasn't my plan. Sure. But I would meet a child that needed a mom. Um, I would say, God, I can't. And you'd say, says who? Hmm. I'll, I'll tell you if you can't. Mm -hmm. But yeah, you can. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. And thank you for sharing so passionately about that truth. It's been such an interesting experience for us because we have a lot of people in our sphere who have adopted some internationally, some domestically. It's been a challenge for a lot of them financially. And it's so discouraging and disheartening to see that um Many of them have a similar heart. It's something Jesse and I, you know, talk very, very heavily about. And then there are these constraints, but it's very, it's encouraging to my heart. And I'm sure here's Lindsay, if I could give you a gift and your listeners a gift yeah, that will change your life. I promise yeah. that changed my life. Mm -hmm. Strengths and obstacles are not a bad thing. Mm -hmm. They're a very good thing. When there is an obstacle in your way or a constraint and you pray about it, sometimes God, you know, it's God saying no. Mm -hmm. um, but when there is a constraint or an obstacle in your way or my way or and you know that God has birthed in your heart the desire to get from point A to point B and there's a mountain between point A and point B. Our natural inclination is to go, oh, I'll never get over that mountain. I don't even have climbing boots. Yeah. I, no, I can't. I can't. I can't. Okay. I'll see if there's a highway that goes around the mountain or a plane that'll fly over the mountain. But I, there's no way I'm climbing over that mountain. And we see problems as a negative, as something to be avoided at all cost. Mm -hmm. When you can understand that, those problems are one of the greatest gifts God will ever give you. And you can understand that constraints and hoops you have to jump through are a blessing and a gift. It changes everything because in our society, we want simple. We want easy. We want it's the food to be delivered to our yeah. door. And if it's not there in 15 minutes, you're not going to get a very good tip. Yeah. Yeah. When you go to Ghana, where I go a lot, and you order a meal at the restaurant, you're going to have an hour or two to talk to your friends and family before it's delivered mm -hmm. because they are literally out back butchering the chicken right. and plucking it before they cook it and bring it to your table. So getting impatient and getting frustrated and thinking it's poor service, it's not going to get you anywhere. You're going to get up and leave annoyed and hungry. Yeah. But if you can see what a blessing it is to get that gift of time to spend with people and connect with people, mm -hmm. it's amazing. Mm -hmm. But we are so conditioned in the West and in America to want what we want when we want it. And to avoid adversity. And to at avoid adversity at all costs, to avoid pain at all costs. Mm -hmm. I'm going to just smoke a blunt, take a pill, take a drink, have a beer, whatever. Because I'm uncomfortable. I cannot tell you what a blessing obstacles and challenges are and the thrill of victory when God gets you across the finish line through against all odds. I'll tell you this quick little story. I met a lady the other night. I went to an event. I got to spend the whole evening with five like-minded women, three of us that have adopted children. And one of the women was telling me the story of her daughter. She and her husband lived in the thousand square foot house. They had five biological children. They were Christians. And she felt God was saying, I want to add to your family through adoption. Yeah. And she's like, okay, you got to tell my husband that because <laughs> I'm not bringing this up. It's a beautiful story. It's way too long to go into. 
Unbeknownst to her, the Lord was speaking to her husband at the same time. So they set out on this journey to adopt one child from West Africa. And during the process, they both felt convicted in their heart that there was more than one child that was supposed to be a part of their family. So they had their home study increase to three. So they found two children. They identified two children. They knew those two children were to be theirs, but they kind of had this nagging feeling that there was a third one. And right before they committed to just the two, one of the mommies in Africa called and said, there is a girl in the orphanage who's very sick. We think she has a heart problem. She's probably going to die. But could you adopt her? And literally, they found a doctor from American who was Ghanaian who was going home the next day to Ghana, who had all of his equipment with him to perform testing, diagnosed her problem. They got an expedited visa. They got her on a plane. She landed in Seattle on a Friday. And on Monday, she was seen all expenses paid by Children's Hospital and had open heart surgery that saved her life. She landed on Friday. She was operated on Monday and saved her life. How incredible. They had mountains to climb barefoot in a snowstorm and they did it. Mm. And their Mm. daughter, Comfort is her name, is now like 22, 23 years old. They, They climbed the mountains with their bare hands and their bare feet in a blizzard and they did it. And they, they were able to save this child's life and add to their family and increase their faith 10,000 fold. Hmm. You don't have those opportunities to have your faith increase like that if you don't trust that God will move the mountain Absolutely. or give you the ability to climb it barefoot. Hmm. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. As a mom, I find that I try to avoid adversity for my children. But when I look back at my life and taking really uncomfortable risks anytime that I did or was challenged to or had to, that those were the areas of greatest growth and also the moments when I was on my knees the most in prayer and relying upon God because I tend to struggle with control and a lot. And when something feels out of my control, my natural response is to panic And I've known the Lord for about 13, 14 years now. And in that time, it's been a slow growth for me to where the desire to control instead of putting my hands all over it and choking it to death is now becoming one again, not perfectly by any means to where I then realize this is just an opportunity for God to do his work. And a lot of my life is based around risk and jumping into things that make me really uncomfortable. And it's been something that I want to give to my children. And that example and that story are so encouraging to my heart to come to a place to remember that that adversity, a lack of adversity creates soft people and people who are unwilling to jump and unwilling to do the hard things. And and I don't want soft men. I don't want my boys to be soft men. And I... I don't want to be someone that they look at and see as somebody who who doesn't take risks and who doesn't try to climb that mountain and who doesn't overcome the things that are terrifying because oftentimes the greatest things come with the greatest risk and the most hardship. We watch so many people succeed at the things we want to succeed at. We watch those people go and work out and do those things while we're lying on our couch and judging them or having opinions. And as I think about kind of the culmination of this whole conversation, it boils down to unconditional love and unconditional faith because that unconditional love, whether it's building that community of friends, loving our children enough to not place them in front of screens, but to help them to live a life and to foster that because we're responsible for that. They're not at their ages to pour into our families and to be storytellers and story gatherers. It's all love founded and our faith in the same way pours into all of that because without it, without grace poured into our hearts and the empathy poured into our hearts and the ability to see past ourselves because it is not a natural fleshly tendency to see past ourselves. 
all of it then depends on the faith in our lives. And so I guess my final question for you would be, or just final thought um, would be to ask how you in the next five or 10 years, how you desire to continue living out this unconditional love and faith in a way that makes an impact on the people in your life. It's breathing, Lindsay. Mm -hmm. It's breathing. I don't control my breathing. I don't control my heartbeat. I don't wake up one day and go, you know, I think I'm going to lower my blood pressure today or my heart rate today. Um, Snap my fingers and it's done. God gives me all that. Mm -hmm. And wherever he takes me in the next five hours, the next five years is entirely up to him. Mm -hmm. So long as I'm willing to be Mary and say yes, you know, Mary is my hero. Mm -hmm. Mary is my hero. I think about a teenage girl betrothed to a godly man in a culture that says, if you even think about having sex before marriage, you will be stoned to death or, you know, sent away to a foreign village where you'll be disgraced and disowned. An angel appears and says, um, by the by, <laughs> you're going to be pregnant with God. A teenager. She wasn't like 45 years old and had her act together. And she said, you know, let it be done. Whatever you want, God, whatever you want. In that moment, she knew the price, a little bit of the price she would pay. She, I'm sure she didn't understand the price she would pay watching her son be crucified on a cross. Mm-hmm. But she knew there was going to be a big price to pay, and she knew she could be put to death for this. And she said, yes. When God puts something on your heart and says, I want you to adopt, I want you to be a foster parent, I want you to go to the school and volunteer and read to kids, Whatever it is he's telling you to do, I want you to move across the country. I know a family, the the Lord spoke to them and said, I want you to give up your house, buy a bus, put all your kids in it and travel across the country sharing the gospel. Mm -hmm. They said, yes, yes, Lord. Yes. I'll Mm -hmm. give up my comfort. Mm -hmm. We don't want to, we don't want to give up our comfort. We don't want to give up our homes. We don't want to give up our cars. We don't want to give up whatever. We don't want to sacrifice. The only real love, Lindsay, that exists is unconditional sacrificial love. Everything else is a business deal. Transactional. Every other relationship that is not based on real, unconditional love, where you say, I will love you no matter what. I am I am in. I am all in. I am 100% in. And even if that person betrays you in the worst possible way and you cannot have a relationship with them, you still choose to love them and pray for them. The only love that exists is unconditional love. Everything else is a business deal. If there are any conditions on your love for your husband, for your children, for your best friends, for the Lord... I'll love you, God, so long. I mean, I I actually spoke those words. Lord, I will serve you with every ounce of my being. Just please don't ever take one of my children. I wasn't saying, but I was, you know, I will worship you so long as I don't go through this pain. But in any love that has a condition isn't love at all. I think the church is conditioned or as Christians we're conditioned to judge people based on the apparent sin we see. So I have heard really beautiful people that I respected Christians say, well, I'm, you know, not so sure that she's really walking with the Lord. She's, you know, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And so our our relationship with the Lord is defined by others by are we following the rules? And to me, that is so incredibly asinine. Are we following the rules? What does God say true religion is? To care for the orphans and the widows and their afflictions and to keep oneself unpolluted from the corruption of the world. True religion that is holy and acceptable to the Father is this, in the words of Jesus, to care for orphans and widows in their affliction. That means people that don't have a voice, people that don't have an advocate, people that don't have somebody to put a blanket over them or a a tent over them in the storm. 
the word orphan in that scripture actually translates to a a child without a father protector. So it doesn't even mean a child that's parents are dead. We think of orphan as a child whose parents are dead. That's not what it means. It means a child who doesn't have parents to advocate for them. They might be dead. They might be on the street addicted to methamphetamines, addicted to fentanyl. We have to be in the world, but we, we're not to be of the world. That's a hard one because the world's so delicious, mm-hmm. so enticing. You know, we like to see women that are dressed a certain way and being modest and men that have tattoos now. That's okay, but not too many tattoos, certainly not a face or a neck tattoo, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and, and their hair can be longish, but, you know, they better have clean shoes on when they come into church. And mm-hmm. aren't we supposed to be breaking bread with sinners? Aren't we supposed to be leading people to the knowledge of Christ? Aren't we supposed to be gathering with other believers to pray for miraculous healings for the blind to see? Aren't we supposed to be going into prisons and emptying them out by setting people free, by praying over them? But we're going to have our Sunday get together and see how pretty we look. Where in the Bible is 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 there any indication of what we consider the church? Where? Yes. I appreciate that, Delilah. I deeply, deeply resonate with what you said. And we, I don't have time to share all of this, but we come from a family in um, leadership and in churches and have seen so much of the behind the scenes and what you're expressing as the external sin, pointing out that external sin and villainizing an individual for their immodesty, for their choice of what to drink, and lacking so much in the compassion and empathy and warmth as a church to draw people in who are in need. And I think as a congregation and with my listeners who may feel that this mountain is too big to reach back to Delilah's point, that it takes one individual to step away from that. Love without action is a lie. If you say, oh, I love you. I love the world. I love my community. But you're not willing to get dirty. It's a lie. You don't love at all. You have emotions. So what? You know, when I was younger, I had emotions once a month that were off the charts. So what? They mean nothing. Emotions are nothing but a chemical response to a thought process. That's all our emotions are. If you live by your emotions uh, and let your emotions be the voice in your head all the time, you're going to have a miserable life if you're anything like me who's super emotional. Mm. And love when it's only an emotion is a lie. If you're not willing to get dirty and to sacrifice and to be the arms of Christ and the feet of Christ... You're lying to yourself. God isn't calling you to move forward. He's not calling you to be successful. He is calling you to get dirty. Jesus wasn't concerned about his position or getting an education or being successful. He was out hanging out with prostitutes and tax collectors and sharing the truth of his father with them. Get dirty and change the world. Change the world with love because we're not going to do it with politics. We're not going to do it with degrees. We're not going to do it with educations. We're not going to do it with podcasts. I'm not going to do it on my radio show. If we're going to change the world. We're going to do it one heart at a time by loving the unlovely. That's how we're going to do it. Amen. Yeah. You challenged my heart today <laughs> in a lot of ways. I appreciate you. I do. I appreciate your life and putting into action everything that you're saying And then having the ability to say it so boldly and so openly and that God has given you the most incredible platform to do so and for your life to be an example of his love. And I I know that we are running out of time. You have a nonprofit. Is that something that you want to share a little bit about before we close? Yeah. Yeah. Point Hope is my uh, charity. And our, our motto is to be a voice for forgotten children. And here in the States, we try to bring awareness to kids in foster care. We try to bring awareness, the opioid crisis, and now the fentanyl crisis has got so many hundreds of thousands of children. Yeah. It's staggering. 
in in Portland, I grew up in Oregon, the number of fentanyl deaths is like, you know, a dozen a day. They've just declared a national crisis there. Well, and they're targeting children with the colored fentanyl, the candy looking fentanyl. Yeah. Point Hope works uh, to bring awareness to kids here in America who need support, who need help. And maybe you can't adopt but you can foster or you can mentor or you can become a CASA worker and you can be a voice for those kids. And then internationally, we work in West Africa and we have a feeding program, uh, water wells, education programs, skills training, uh, mostly for women. We have 12 different positions on the clock, if you will, that lead one to the other. So it's all holistic. It's a holistic approach of building stronger kids through building stronger communities. So we don't just focus on one child. There's a lot of charities that have a, you sponsor one child. We focus on the whole community, first on the family. If the child has a parent or a grandparent, we support them, we help them. Uh, There's education, there's nutritional education, and we we build a strong community around the kids that we work with. So pointhope.org is how to find out about Point Hope. Wonderful. And I'll be sure I'll link that in the show notes. And for all of our listeners, thank you for being here. And as always, I just pray that you listen, but also hear what Delilah had to say today. And similarly to my heart, to take time to journal through thoughts, to get into scripture, to really challenge yourself to live in a way that is loving unconditionally. I know this is not a typical Valentine's Day episode, and I'm so encouraged (laughs) by that. I'm so encouraged by that because this is why I do what I do. And I just believe in the ability for us to not just sit and let the podcast episode play and then move on with our lives. But as always, I just want to call you up to action just as I'm calling myself up to action to live in a way that is honoring to God and that has eternal purpose. And so we love you guys. We're so thankful to have you. Eternal purpose. That's if our focus every day, Lindsay, could be eternal purpose. It would change everything. Our marriages, our parenthood. Yes. Everything. Every day. If every relationship we looked at, we looked at with eternal purpose, Mm. how much better would this world be? Amen. We go for the short-term pleasure instead of the eternal purpose. Well, and it made me think when you said we the world tastes so sweet and I oh, or it tastes so good that it's for a few bites, right? And then you get it starts to get sickly sweet and then it destroys. It tastes good for a second and then it wrecks or destroys or steals. But if we can keep the eternal lens, we're not distracted by as C.S. Lewis says, just playing in a mud slum because we don't realize what more is out there for us by a vacation at sea. There is so much more that Jesus has in store eternally Amen. that that. Amen. And even here in this world, he's got so much joy and love, real love. Mm-hmm. And, and the thrill, the thrill of, of reaching whatever it is he's calling you to do in that moment mm-hmm. and feeling the Holy spirit on you and knowing that you know that you know that you know that God orchestrated everything but allowed you to partner with him. There's nothing like it in the world. There is no high, nothing sweet the world offers, nothing, nothing you can experience that is as glorious and invigorating and fulfilling as the joy of the Lord. Nothing. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Delilah. Thank you for being here. I'm so thankful to meet you face to face after hearing your voice my entire life. And for our listeners, as always, I just ask that you share this with one person who may know the Lord, may not know the Lord, who would be challenged and encouraged by the word of God and the encouragement toward community and people and unconditional love. And we will talk to you next week. Bye, guys. Awesome.